everybody welcome back to the combat chain i'm your host patrick shaw here in the east coast united states with plenty of daylight and perfect temperatures bringing you a new episode of the pod today is a special day for me because i'm joined by not one but two pro tour competitors first he was 76th in lil but number one in our hearts you can find this tall glass of milk if you look for the big orange hat in the crowd usually tossing around too many rune chants for any person to handle He's my co-host, staying up way past his bedtime for the sake of content. Adam Philipchuk. Adam, say hello. Hey, how's it going, Pat? Fantastic. How How is France? France is great. Um, Pro Tour was great. We are, uh, my girlfriend and I are just spending a couple extra days in Paris now. We've been bumming around the city, hanging out in parks, eating baguettes. It's been, uh, it's been a great time. Excellent. Excellent to hear. Uh, second... Uh, with us today, we have the man who was literally number one in Lil, a man whose biceps and ability to fearlessly add color to his wardrobe garnered almost as much attention to his transcendent victory in Lil France. He is the reigning UK national champion and now can now add Pro Tour champion to the flesh and blood accolades. Ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Folks. Matthew, welcome to the combat chain. Uh, good evening, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I wrote that by myself, so Adam had no idea what was going on. I was very, I, uh, that was well said. I might get my girlfriend to uh, call me that every single time she ever addresses me, you know? Yeah. Every time I walk into a room, just that. All of Excellent. it start to finish, you know? <laughs> Excellent. Glad to hear. Uh, Matthew, we want to thank you for taking the time and coming on to the podcast with us. Uh, so it was clear during during your match uh, how excited you were while you were on your way to winning the Pro Tour. But now that the dust has settled a bit, what is going through your mind right now? Um, it's been a bit surreal because, like, it, you don't really ever expect to have a result that insane, you know? Like, as a competitive card tournament player, you you dream of it and, you know, you, like you really want to achieve that and that's all you think about you know but like how often do you get to really win a tournament like you almost always like a good result is is still a top eight or you know a semi-final or a court or like a court final or just even a top 16 or a redo any of that like it's almost never ever that like the tournament just ends because it's almost always something else you qualify for or you know there's another tournament after all there's a thing beyond that and it's just like oh my god I got to the thing and I just did the thing and then it was done. There's nothing after that, you know? I mean, there's, there's worlds, but it was like, I, I, I st- it's still a bit difficult to process um, that there's nothing like that. I just, I just, I just absolutely just rank one, finished it, just did the thing to the maximal degree. I like, but now that like, I'm a few days removed, I'm kind of just thinking like, okay, now I now I've done that. Like, where do I go from here? Like, what's the next tournament? Which is kind of kind of incredibly degenerate. But like, I know that I have nationals coming up in three weeks, and uh, I have a nationals title to defend. So like, mm-hmm. I I was thinking today, like I was just sat there, like uh, having dinner, and I just thought, man, I really want to win my nationals. You know, like, wouldn't it be awesome if I won nationals again? Like, and maybe that's a bit greedy because, like, I think it's completely unreasonable to have expectations to win any tournament. Like, 
I go to even just my armory. I don't, you know, you don't expect to win, right? Like flesh and blood is hard and it's a card game like any with variants. You need to be insanely lucky to win, you know, and I was repeatedly insanely lucky to win the pro tour and also to, 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 to have won my nationals last year as well. Like, you know, even, even as like late as the last turn of the last game, you know, I, um, I, for anyone who hasn't seen the game, I have to play a Sonata on my last turn and I have to hit or I lose the game. Like I said, I, I, I you can see me like desperately, desperately thinking over it in the last turn, trying to work out if there's any way I don't have to basically flip a coin, you know, a slightly weighted in my favor coin, but basically flip a coin for, you know, in excess of $10,000 and, you know, maybe more important, at least to me, than the money is, you know, like the accolade of, of actually winning the Pro Tour, you know? And I can't. And, you know, so I just had to pray, you know, pray to some kind of, some yeah. kind of higher power that it was my day. And I said to my opponent, I said, you know, it is here. It's this. It's right now. Good luck, mate. Uh, and then I flipped the cards off the Sonata and, you know, could barely keep it together when I saw a yellow belittle. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't the yellow belittle that sent me over the edge. It was the blue term of the Arknight. It was the term of the Arknight that came second on the flip to to know that I, I had then definitely won the Pro Tour. Um, it guarantee that hit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then. And then I almost fumbled it. I really almost fumbled it. Uh, it wouldn't actually end, ended up costing me the game, but. I was, so my plan when I cast the Sonata was I knew any hit allows me to go make an embodiment of lightning, attack with my overload, pitch my overload, or pitch my other card, weapon swing for two arcane, which was enough to kill him with the one damage from the Sonata because he was on three and had no arcane barrier. So I knew that any hit would kill him. Well, I hadn't fully considered Sigil. I'd only, I hadn't seen how I could lose. I'd only found my way to how I could win. I hadn't then got to this point to ask myself, wait, how can I lose? And so like, I hit the sigil and I was like, oh my God, I win. And then managed just to catch myself before I'd finished resolving Sonata or playing the overload. I was like, wait, we still need to play good, clean flesh and blood. Let's not, let's not throw this all down the drain at the last possible moment. Because honestly, he didn't have the sigil, he, he, he told me. Um, but if, if I'd been, if I'd made that mistake and then had lost to the sigil, like, like, you don't know how you come back from a, a, like a rough beat like that, you know, that's, but thankfully I, I, I was able to see it in just in time and, uh, and yeah. Excellent. Uh, was there, was there a moment before that final match where it started becoming real for you that winning the pro tour was a possibility? Like, was it getting into the top eight or some, some, some point afterwards? Um, I, I think like one thing like that I'm actually quite good at, uh, and I think people actually tend to do quite wrong or maybe not quite wrong, but it's, it, it, it's, it's a leak for a lot of players, I think, is they they set a goal that maybe is, is still really high, but that isn't the finish of the tournament. And then, like, they reach that point, 
and then something about their tournament changes you know like you see for me at least i see it happen in a lot of lot of tournaments right is you see players say in a calling um i have not made a top eight calling but i've seen it in, in in magic gps and other tournaments they make the top eight right and they're also everyone's so happy we just qualified for the pro tour you know this is amazing this is great and it is it is a great result it's amazing but for me what's most important is in that moment that you don't think cool i did the thing what's the most important is that you now focus on the three most important matches of your tournament which lie in front of you you know so i actually tweeted the exact same thing um i did when i top eighted uh uk nationals as i did when i top eight the pro tour um which is uh it's a it's a it's a it's a clip from an interview with kobe bryant um where it's a clip from the nba finals a post post game interview from the nba finals where he um he's they're 2 up the lakers are 2 up and they ask him like when are we going to get a smile kobe you know like you're uh, and he's like why why would i smile they're like you're 2 up in the final and he's like is the match finished i don't think so you know like so for me i i i like i I literally in the past have asked people not to congratulate me like at UK nationals. Yeah. Like I said, please, like I was 12 and 0 and I mm. said, please don't congratulate me. Yep. You know, because like I'm not finished. Like I still have three very important matches to play and then please congratulate me. Um, and so like for me, it, I, the only thing that mattered was my next opponent, you know? Uh, and mm. I played. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like obviously my goal and like my extreme focus is to win the tournament, but I made sure, like, I don't like at any point like relax and say, awesome, I did it. I'm really happy with my performance. You know, if I lost, I'll be disappointed. And, you know, that happens, you know, I'd still be insanely happy with my weekend. Had I lost the final, I would have been, I'm sure, crushed in the moment, just absolutely devastated. Um, But then, I'm sure by now I would have come to terms with how amazing of a weekend that would have been for me. Um, but, you know, one thing I really, really try hard not to do, because I used to do it and have done it in the past, is, is you know, say a top eight is a great result for you, you get that result, and instead of really focusing on what a great opportunity you now have, you just, you, you know, you maybe you let off the gas a little bit. You know, you accept, you know, wow, I've done really great. And then you lose a bit of that focus, you lose a bit of that intensity. Um, and I really didn't want to do that. So for me, it didn't really become real until the final match finished. And then I was like, oh, my God, I just won the Pro Tour. Um, That's an excellent perspective. All right. Uh, a couple of things that the, uh, had the audience buzzing during your appearance in the top eight were your arms and your shirt, uh, which brings me to our first community question by Sean Hill. Uh, a fellow Pro Tour competitor uh, who asks, "How do you get so fucking yoked?" Um, I I lift a lot of weights. Um, I actually have uh, I I have uh, I have Yuanji I have Yuanji Lee here with me today. Uh, he's staying with me for a couple of days after the Pro Tour, and uh, I actually forced him into the gym today. <laughs> he uh, he had a bit of a tough time. I think he uh, was on the verge of uh, of death maybe at one point. But uh, he got through it, and uh, and we put him through a pretty good workout. And I was considering that an off day, you know. 
I, I tend to just push myself really hard in the gym. I, live, I work out like six days a week and uh, I eat a lot of protein. Nothing, uh, nothing too iconic, but I just, I just try and be consistent because like whenever I've gone through tough times in my life, like whenever I've like, experienced like actually really rough and hard times, it's always been like weightlifting has been the thing that's kind of anchored me in like being able to be a human being. You know? The iron never lies, right? Henry Rollins. Exactly. Exactly. Like I I struggle a lot with like procrastination and like uh like I suffer pretty badly with ADHD. And, like mm-hmm. sometimes I just like lose weeks. Like I just won't have done anything productive for like an entire week. Um I'm like, but I'll always go to the gym. And so it's like I can't have really messed up my week that bad as long as I nailed the gym, you know? And that keeps me like on some path. So yeah. What do you, uh, what's, what's your, what's your preferred, uh, workout method? Are you more of a free weights guy? Um, you a circuit guy? Yeah, I, I, I mostly train in like a powerlifting style. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I'll just drop some numbers. I, let's go. Have, what do you got? I have about a 540 pound deadlift. Wow. Um, all right. All right. All right. About 440 pound squat and about a 330 pound, uh, no, sorry, a 315, uh, bench sorry i'm trying to count the kilos to pound <laughs> the, the conversion rate yeah 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 yeah. it's a bit different but that's yeah so like Ooh. i i've been training i've been training like pretty seriously for a long time but i mean we're not here to talk about we're not here to talk about weight, weightlifting you know? we're, talk, we're gonna talk about whatever comes up no this that's impressive numbers that's yeah that's very, super that's impressive yanji how, how did you feel about the workouts today Pretty tired. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw a video on Twitter uh, getting some squats in. Your depth was good. That was it he was, was nailing it, dude. He was nailing yeah, it. I ain't worked out in like good. three years. I was like, nah, you're crushing it, bro. You are crushing it. I was really I was really impressed. He worked hard, especially because he's he's under the weather as well. So like, shout out to you, Angie. He actually he put a shift in considering he was he was struggling. That's awesome. Excellent. That is that's the way to do it. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, so. Uh, we talked about your arms. Let's talk about your shirts. How much thought and effort go into your style and wardrobe for um, a major card tournament? I think in general, I look often about the biggest slob possible at card tournaments. I tend to put like, I tend to like almost take pride in putting as little thought into the decisions around the tournament as possible, mm-hmm. because I want all of my thought and focus to be on the tournament. Uh, but this weekend is, you know, the Pro Tour is a special tournament. You know, you want to. You want to be, you know, there's a chance, right? There's a chance that you're on camera and there's a chance that, like, you get to look back and remember those times. So, like, if that's going to be the case, I feel like you'd want to look pretty good for it, you know? So I made sure to get a haircut on the week, on the week before because I was like, if I'm going to be seeing a bunch of people, I know I don't want to look like a slob. I shaved, gave myself a, a, decent, a decent shave. And then I said to my girlfriend um, on Thursday before we drove across, I said, I'm going to pack this shirt and I'm going to wear it on Sunday. Um, and like on, I woke, up on, I woke up on Friday and I was like, oh, I kind of want to wear the shirt. And I was like, nah, no, nah, I won't. I won't. Because I, I didn't have that many clothes with me. Like I had like four outfits or whatever. But I was, and then on the Saturday, I was like, oh, I kind of want to wear the shirt. And I was like, nah, I'm coming back to put it on tomorrow. And then I woke up on Sunday morning and I put that shirt on and I was like, oh, this feels so good. This feels such like this. And then, and then, and then like, now I get to look back at all the photos mm-hmm. and I, I look really good in them, you know, like I made the, I, you know, I, I was really lucky that like, I, that shirt fits me great. I think like, uh, it was actually my stepdad's shirt 
he just um it didn't fit him it was way too big for him and so he just gave it to me like last month because he bought this shirt that just wasn't even close to fitting him and like that was just the shirt that came with me but like now i get to look back at all the photos and i just i just look sharp you know i was dressed for the occasion and i i'm super happy that i did that you know it so definitely left shirt decisions you were, you were definitely it left a left a positive impression. That's definitely uh, one of the the legacies of Pro Tour. Lil will be uh, will be how well you dressed. Nice. Uh, all right. Maybe we'll try to interrupt. But what you couldn't see, maybe for a lot of the coverage, was that underneath the shirt is just some gym shorts. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's like, like it's like it's like it's like the Zoom the call bar. business. Yeah, business for the top half, chilling on the bottom, you know? Yeah, yeah. Business in the front, Excellent. party okay. in the back. Right. Exactly. All right. Uh, I want to talk about the elephant in the room. Almost one year ago, you went 15-0 on your way to UK Nats, uh, to taking UK Nats on an until then almost unheard of Briar aggro deck. Along the way, you drew the ire of Flesh and Blood fans and others with the weight that they put on your actions during the tournament. Given the comments on forums and during your pro, uh, during the Pro Tour stream, it seems a reputation as a certain kind of player hasn't quite left you yet. Uh, how much are you exposed to that kind of criticism? Um, does it affect you to this day? And what do you have to say to those uh, those fans who think you do not uh, you do not belong in in this game? Um. Yeah. The like there there has obviously been a lot of criticism and it's actually interesting that you said almost a year ago today because i was scrolling back through my twitter just today and i found a tweet from it's from, i think it was the 11th of august and it was hey would anybody interested in playing some tabletop simulator flesh and blood with me and that was the first time i played basically a year ago today actually which was uh which was interesting um to see how far I've come in that year. But to address the criticism, it it does affect me a lot, actually. Like, after I won US, uh, UK Nationals last year, you know, I, it, it's, not, it's not incorrect to say that that is, was and is now still one of the most, like the proudest days of my life, you know? Like I worked insanely hard for that tournament and so, it felt horrific to walk away from something that you feel insanely proud of and see the overwhelming response to be so like so negative and you know so hateful um and like while i think that some of my actions at that tournament like like are not to a standard that i i then and do still hold um i think that that basically a lot of the response came from outside of the flesh and blood community um from magic players who already didn't like me and were really looking for basically just another great reason to throw a lot of vitriol my way mm -hmm. um and like dealing with those people is often pretty miserable because they, there's a lot of people who are just taking a lot of enjoyment out of basically just trying to tear me down and that that's really rough because like it's something like I, I think it's safe to say that I love the game of flesh and blood just about as much as anybody. Like I put so much time and effort and like thought into the game. I've traveled to like 
like six different five different countries at this point i think to play the game like you know like and so to see people that like also care about the same thing as me just like completely trying to like discredit or like remove like any input or value of like my time and effort and achievements is is really upsetting but like i do still like as i said understand that some of my actions at that tournament were not okay so to specifically address i don't know how much like specifically you know of the exact situations that occurred at uk nationals um in one of the games i play a card realize i put the wrong card down from my hand and i take it back and then the follow-on is that a few turns later my opponent misses his trigger and i don't let them have it um i call a judge because they've missed their trigger which they have they have missed their trigger and a lot of people were, compl- were, were, were upset with me um, because I told my opponent they couldn't have a, their trigger. And that's not the part that I think is, is, is incorrect. The part is that I, I, um, is that I, make, my, I make a play and then, and, then, and then immediately swap it around. And that's the part that I'm not okay with because I'm a player that believes, you know, if you miss something, it should be missed. Like, it sh- you know, you should have to pay the price for your own mistakes um but i don't do that earlier in the game and that's the part i regret um because i i am and still and will always be a player that is very happy to call a judge if something goes wrong in the game if that's either my fault or my opponents you know and like just just for example in the top eight of the pt this weekend um i missed i missed my channel mount heroic trigger um yeah. I've done all the work to keep my channel Mount Heroic around for a, th- a third time, setting myself up and have done a ton of work to set myself up for what was going to be a three attack, absolutely insane turn that was almost certainly going to win me the game because I'd worked through all of my opponent's Archive Sentinels. And I got so lost in, in finding the line where I could set up that fourth Arclight Sentinel turn that I just forgot the simple step of putting a counter on my channel Mount Heroic. And I know what the fix is to that problem. As soon as a judge comes to the table, I look at my channel Mount Heroic, see only two counters, realize the mistake I've made, and I know that the solution is that the channel Mount Heroic goes away. You know, I didn't yeah. protest, I didn't complain. I, I accept that, you know, that's my mistake, and I should pay the price for my mistake, and I, I accept that fully. And I, you know, focused up and, and tried to keep playing on. Um, thankfully, I didn't pay the price for that mistake, but that's, you know, that's the standard that I, I tried to hold, and, and, and anyone that's anyone that's played me in, in the last year since then, I, I, I make sure to really, really try to hold myself, you know, to the strictest of standards. Like even on things that are tiny, like where my opponent's like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I, I say, no, I, I don't want it. I don't want it because mm-hmm. I, I would at least try and hold myself to even a higher standard, you know, especially at like casual tournaments where like, it's fine. But even at, pro, even at like the pro quest level, like if my opponent misses something like, pretty small it is fine you can have it as long as it we're not like turns down the line it's not completely egregious you know but but at the professional level you know i i think that the it's it's difficult sometimes with with missed triggers and judge calls and and and, and issues like this because if if we try and work out where the line is on on what you can say oh that's all right that's not all right it's really difficult so i tend to always draw the line of we just call a judge and ask that's what the line will be you know because i find it difficult otherwise because we're all playing this 
weird like what's the moral line on what's okay and what's not and if you just call a judge and this is something i implore basically everyone to do and i think honestly people don't do enough um if you just call a judge then you're you know you won't always get a perfect judge call but what you should do is just get at least a fair standard for both players where both of your like opinions and like thoughts about the situation are heard and can hopefully get the fairest resolution so that's the standard i approach and so like although it really did hurt and like i still have to deal with a decent amount of hate a lot of which comes from like prior to uk nationals and i think that will always at least follow me to some extent in in like flesh and blood i can't really do a lot about a lot of people's opinions um and so i just try and accept and ignore those people because i think you know if people have made their mind up about me all i can do is try and like add value to people that do want to interact with me and you know continue to try and do my best to play the cleanest most skilled most interesting flesh and blood that i can and i you know i think this weekend hopefully i did a pretty spectacular job of that i tried really hard to play a crisp game i certainly still missed a few triggers here and there i missed a really really painful one in the top eight i think i missed a tunic trigger um but i got managed to get through the tournament without having too many issues and you know i had a bunch of amazing games on the way so yeah i think that that basically assesses that sort of where i'm at with the criticism i i, I wish it wasn't there like I wish I didn't have to deal with, you know, hearing the, the same, like, three awful, awful jokes or just, like, a lot. Because I don't mind them if they're, if they're funny. If there's humor in them, I can appreciate them, you know? But it's when it's just, like, blind, toxic hate that, like, they're not even interested in hearing my perspective or my side of the story, then I, I, that does hurt. That is frustrating. Well, and I think to your point, too, like... It's not the mistakes that define someone, it's your actions that follow the mistakes. And I think with what we just heard you say, it really shows that you're trying to be accountable. And it's that that's really commendable. Like kudos to you for a being able to recognize what what went wrong and then being accountable and moving forward and just trying to be the best person you can be moving forward from that. Like, yeah, kudos to you. Yeah, I, I think it bears saying that, like, like I had a lot of messages from, from people after the Pro Tour, and I, like, I think that people are often like, very quick to jump to negative conclusions, but then the opposite is also true. Like, I'm still, like, basically the same player that I was last year at US National, uh, UK Nationals, you know. I, 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 I'm, and, and I think a lot of the problems from US, UK, UK Nationals came that, that was, I think, I think either my sixth or my seventh ever flesh and blood event in real life, um, and 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 now I'm a lot more experienced, and I make sure to try and be a lot crisper and and hold myself to that higher standard. But like, just because like I play one tournament where I don't have any issues, I don't think that people should then massively or dramatically change their opinion of me. I think people are too quick to jump to negative conclusions, but also like. I don't think that they should think that I'm some like saint. I'm still a cutthroat competitive player who wants to win like massively. And I, you know, give my absolute everything to win every tournament I'm in. Um, and I just, it, it's a like, 
it's a bit like I'm trying to find the right words to say it. I, I, I wish that people would just be a bit more neutral about me. You know? <laughs> like, uh, I'm not some hero. I'm not some villain. I'm just another guy that really likes playing flesh and blood. You know, maybe that's the best way to say it. You're, you know? you're just Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want like, to, I, I don't want to be seen as like a hero or a villain or any of that. Like, I just like playing the game. I just love playing the game, you know? I think there's, a, you definitely bring an attitude to the game that I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like fostering. This is gonna sound bad. I promise it's not. There's a lot of like fostering positive community and like togetherness and wholesomeness when it comes to right the flesh and blood community. But one of the big aspects that is missing and can be misconstrued in that is the competitive aspect of the game. There is uh, there's nothing wrong with being a high level competitor of the game focused on the competition of it and that comes with some some burden of of not being the good guy or the nice guy all the time you know we talk about playing crisp and making sure people don't miss their triggers or not allow not allowing someone else's missed trigger uh cost you in you know in the moments that are most important in those games and that can be that that can be perceived as a, a potential negative. Yeah, and I don't want to make excuses. Like I say, that the the part of the UK Nationals I regretted most, and and I did, I was inaccurate in the timing on a couple of my triggers, and I I think that's those are game rule violations, and I, mm-hmm. I regret being sloppy in those spots. But like, that's just a game rule violation. I'm sure mm-hmm. all of us have committed those. The part yeah. I'm actually not okay with is is making a take back because that's not like that's not part of like how I'd like to play the game, um, especially at professional rel. Like if we're just playing casual games or we're playing Flesh and Blood online, you can press the you can press the undo button as much <laughs> as, as you want. Like yeah. if you like get to the end of your terminal, like I, I, I and we're playing at Armory and you go, I don't know how, but I completely messed this up. I played all my cards in the wrong order. Can I can I do it right? You go ahead. You know I yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Like and but like you know Flesh and Blood at an Armory and Flesh and Blood at the Pro Tour uh, or at you know. The late stages of a calling are uh, different. Different games, you know. We're here Absolutely. for a different reason. And like, like you said, and and this is something I said to James White when we had a chat after the Pro Tour, is that you know, despite any of the like the the gameplay, you know, all the 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 games issues over the last year, maybe with with some of the bands or some of the heroes or the decks we've seen, like what Flesh and Blood has done exceptionally, amazingly. And like for me, and I know for a lot of players like me, is is they have nailed the tournament side and like bringing us amazing tournaments. And that's why I'm there. I'm there to play amazing tournaments. And that's what Flesh and Blood has done, at least for me, is better than actually any other company and any other game that I've played. And like is what drew me to the game in the first place. You know, I'm sure a lot of us can remember reading that. Uh, the road to the pro tour article, I think it's called, or the 2022, 2022 organized play announcement. Yeah, yeah, um, I know what you're talking about. And like being like, oh my god, they've just brought back, they've just, co- they've just, they've just taken all the things that Magic did so well. Am I okay to talk about Magic on this podcast? Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They've taken all the things that Magic did so well, and then just said. And then got rid of and then said, hey, we know you really loved these things. And like I was a player that like dreamed of playing the Pro Tour and spent three years of my life and then eventually did qualify to 
playing for the Pro Tour, like working really hard for that. And so for that to basically disappear, like killed my passion for playing that game. And then for Flesh and Blood to be like, we know there's this thing that you love and we're making it. And it's and it's real and it is the Pro Tour. Like I've played both and it is. Like the Flesh and Blood Pro Tour is the Pro Tour and it's magical. And like that's what that's what's great about Flesh and Blood to me is is playing great tournaments. And the game the game is is almost secondary to that in a way because mm-hmm. it's just for me a bit like I've played a bunch of different card games competitively. I've played Magic. I've played Legends of Runeterra. I've played Hearthstone not really to a tournament level, but um, but you know I, relatively competitively. I've played Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments. But like the one thing that combines all of those is competition. Um, and like what Flesh and Blood does better than any of those tournaments, those other games, sorry, is is it has amazing competitions where you can test yourself and you can it's not about the prizes, you can just be just to be playing for those stakes at a high level with intensity with something on the line is just such an exhilarating and like focusing and, and just like all encompassing feeling that like that's why I'm there, you know? So during your interview spot with the uh, Fabled Academy, you had mentioned that you were planning on taking a break uh, after Pro Tour a little, and then you then you won. Obviously, your plans uh, may have changed. What were your plans before that you, you were going to win? How long of a break were you going to take, and what 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 was what was in the future here? Um. Well. So, uh, I had been struggling quite a lot uh, financially outside of the game. Um, just to be pretty clear uh, and open, I, I, I don't, I don't actually, I don't work a normal job. I bet on sports full time for a living, um, and have done for the last like five years. Uh, but in the in the past year, I lost a lot of money in some investments and went on a pretty horrendous downswing, which left me in not great ideal financial spot. Um, and it was becoming quite hard to justify spending so much of my time playing uh, playing a card game, um, just from like a financial stability point of view, uh, because I'm not the kind of person that can like very well juggle having m- multiple things in my life. Uh, I, I tend to think I, I've got about three. You know, I've got my girlfriend, I can go to the gym, and I can I can I can play Flesh and Blood a lot. And, that's actually about all I've got space in my life for. Like, I really struggle with more than that. So, like, if I have to get a job, like, I'm going to struggle to do more. Like, I, I struggle with my ADHD to a point where, like, I really can't do much with my life. So I have to just focus in on a few things and give my everything to those tasks and just hyper-focus on those things. And so, like, if I'm picking up other responsibilities or other things, it, it becomes really difficult to, you know, maintain a hobby that, to the to the degree that, I want to, you know, and so like it was becoming hard to justify playing it. I actually, like, I actually had to borrow some money from some family to play the Pro Tour. That's that's actually how bad it was. So like, like it doesn't just mean like, like oh, I, like it was amazing. It makes a massive impact on my financial and like life and my ability to pay the rent to have done well at that tournament, which is like, is kind of crazy. It's changed my situation so much. I. I wasn't like quitting the game, but you know, I was like selling a, a large amount of my collection, like just to pay for stuff. 
um, I was uh, like I'm, I sold my my other PTI. Uh, I had a PTI. I I've earned two PTIs and qualified for both Pro Tours. I gave one of my PTIs to my friend, uh, to my friend Pete, who came second at uh, the Calling Utrecht. He's one of my best friends in the world, and uh, getting to play Pro Tour One with him was so awesome. And then I sold my second PTI, uh, mostly to be able to afford to go to the second Pro Tour. Um, but I didn't have any other PTIs left, and I wasn't necessarily qualified for the for Worlds. So I kind of said, I'll be going to the Pro Tour, I'll be going to Nationals. If I don't qualify for Worlds, you know, I don't know. I guess I'll play the next Pro Tour qualifier season, but then in Nationals, and we'll see, you know. But now, now my situation is very different because I'm, I have an extra PTI. I'm qualified for Worlds like three times over in like three different ways at this point, I guess. And I can afford to go to those tournaments. So now I really have to evaluate, well, what do I want out of the game? Because my situation is different. Um, and I'm definitely going to Worlds. That part's locked up. That's for sure <laughs> now. Um, I've got to win it now. I've got to win it. Um, but I think uh, I still need to find a way to, to try and build some stability in my life and, and make sure I can approach the game from a, a sustainable way. Because I, I tend to... I tend to either like flip between hyper focusing on things or completely not, and the hyper focusing side of that tends to become tends to come with like a healthy degree or an unhealthy degree of burnout. Um, and so and I feel that oh, I feel that so hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Like, you like and like I it'll get to the point. It got to the point uh, at least in Magic, and I really want to avoid this. Where like I would travel to GPs and like we'd get to the Sunday and like everyone's like. Everyone would be there having a great time, like enjoying their weekend. Um, and because like they're on a weekend away from uh, like their life and their responsibility. It's a holiday, right? Whereas mm-hmm. like I was just pursuing magic to such an intense degree that like, like I would just be like after the magic was done, I'd just be gone. And I just like just like zoned out, just wanting to be basically anywhere else in the world. Just like just wanted to hibernate like and that's not. That's not who I am. I'm I'm a pretty sociable person. I you know I get a lot of energy from being around other people. And so when I was that burnt out, that like once the magic was done, I just wanted to be away from the event. I knew that like I burnt myself out so bad, and I want to avoid that because that that took away a lot of the love and enjoyment that I felt for magic. And I don't want that to happen for flesh and blood. So I'm trying to be kind of reasonable in how I approach the game because I know I can be obsessive past the point that is reasonable. No, that's that. That's no, totally fair. Um, I it's funny that you mentioned that. I I'm in the same boat as you. I I struggle with ADHD and like hyper focusing and burning out, or like I go back and forth between the two as well. So I can I can totally relate to where you're coming from. Uh, it's 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 a it's a struggle for sure. Um, moving forward a little bit, you so. You had you had the the UK uh, nationals title um, going into this pro tour. Like, did did defending the UK Nats title mean something to you? Did you feel like you had something to prove going into this uh, this pro tour, or was it just kind of more on the lines of let's just see what happens? Like, um, I've I've vehemently defended the claim that I am the best player in the UK. 
uh, ever since I won U UK nationals. And um, I'm always, I, I'm really great friends with a lot of the UK community. I like, I didn't actually, I was I didn't know many of the UK community one when, when UK Nats rolled around. I actually had only been playing Flesh and Blood for like a month and a half at that point, or a little bit more than that, like seven or eight weeks. And so like the UK Nationals was actually my first time interacting with both uh, a lot of the UK community and then the Flesh and Blood community at large. And it, it wasn't the greatest first impression for either either sides, honestly. Um, but through a year of, you know, traveling to basically every ProQuest in every part of the country, playing all the major events, traveling with a bunch of people, I, I've made tons and tons of friends. So I always want to show that, you know, I am the UK national champion you know? <laughs> in any tournament I go to. I, you know, I, I'm both like, and uh, one of my friends, uh, one of my friends, Matt, at some point, not long after I won nationals, like told me something that hadn't really occurred to me, like, in, 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 which was something that really changed my perspective was that like actually as the uk national champion like that actually means something like and that i actually represent the uk in a way and that like the way that i act and the way that i play will have an impact on how other people do as well because like by prop by definition like i am someone that people will look up to and like will will you know will emulate in some way and so i should try to do well and also be a good opponent because that will have an impact in the community and you know if you're a good role model to people in your community you will have a better community to play with and so thankfully now i have a good uk community like with loads and loads of really great players that since that nationals has actually leveled up so much um and but i still want to prove that i am the best player <laughs> and i do believe that that is true um but now i think there's a lot of competition Whereas last year, I think the level, like the, the game was still just growing and there hadn't been a lot of competitive players from other games because most of the players in this game did come from other games. You know, some of the, for some people, this is their first card game. Um, but for a lot of players, it, it's competitive players from other games who are like, oh my God, there's this wonderful game with wonderful competitions. But I still got to prove that I'm the best. <laughs> and so I do put a lot, I did put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, to do well and but 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 also I want to see my like my friends uh, and other people from the UK community do well and like we did it was crazy when when I came to sit down to draft at the start of day two like I was looking around and just like every pod had a UK player in it like from like where I was sat and I think pod seven uh five and two just like every single one after it was like one in six, one in five, and just all the way to the st like even to pod one, where I think we had two players in pod one, and I was like, oh my god, it was it was a crate. It was like and like all of those players were players that like were just playing or just starting when I won nationals, and like since then we've seen them come up like so much, and that's so awesome. But I still got to prove that I'm better. <laughs> you know, that's the goal. That's the main point here. So yeah, it did. It does play in my mind. Um, like proving that I am the best player in the UK. I got a lot of competition with a lot of my friends, you know, and like there was a couple of people uh, like Jamie Faulkner is a, is a really strong UK player. He, he top eighted Utrecht with Dromine and he top eighted the battle hard this weekend. Um, and he's a really strong player. And like some people have been saying, no, I think Jamie might be the best player in the UK. And I'm like, mm, no, trust me guys. It's me. <laughs> it is me.
but uh, only but one guy's got a title for it. Yeah, but but actually, actually, he made a pretty good case by topping the battle hardened because it it meant that I'm not actually the most recent player to top eight a major event because uh, the battle hardened ended later. So he technically, technically, I'm washed. <laughs> technically, I'm just a madman. <laughs> And he's he's the most recent person with an event. What have so you done just, for me lately? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's been at least two days since I did anything relevant, so he's got me on that front. But it, it, it is, like, it's something that played on my mind that, you know, like, I do want to represent the UK well. Like, I do represent the UK, just in the same way that Tarek represents the US and, you know, has done a great job, I think. Uh, so, Tarek's technically in Canada now. He just moved back. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. He, I, I, I just I found that out today. I was. I asked um, Yuanji, like, do you know if if Tarek is playing your nationals or, or Canada's? And he's playing Canada's, right? He's not defending his title. That's really interesting. He's got to he's gotta establish himself as possibly the best Canadian player now. But, uh, I mean, Yuki... Yuki gives him a pretty good That's run for his name. Murderer's Row. Well, I mean, between Dante, yeah, Yuki, yeah, really, really Isaac Crute. Um, yeah, there's some... Joel, Joel, Joel Reptus. Joel really Rep- good. Yeah, I, I played Joel, Joel in, the, uh, I played Joel in uh, the Pro Tour as well, and yeah, he uh, he put up a hell of yeah, a fight. I played Joel in the late stages on Dash. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we played... We played, a, I, think, I think it was a 1-0, to zero, like, just killed him with my last arcane, like, with my last, like... My last rune chant pushed me over the over the line on my last turn. Like, couldn't be a closer game, kind of one. Yeah, no. Joel puts up a hell of a fight, and even there's, I do feel Canada is a country that, on the whole, we we have a lot to prove still because like there's so many good people that just haven't had a chance to shine yet. What what country has the best player? Oh, that that that's <laughs> what, again. Which country has the best player UK? right now? So like, I was trying to con- I was trying to talk about this this conversation. I was thinking about this on the on the drive home because I drove home. I I I personally drove home six hours after I won the event, which yeah. was a bit of a wild one. I was really I was I was a bit shaky, so I probably it might not have been the wisest idea, but I did make the drive home and we just about made it, so it was all right. But I was thinking like, do I get to call myself the best flesh and blood player in the world at this point? Uh, you you have an argument right now. Like, I'm certainly in the conversation. I'm I think you're. In the conversation. I think and you're I technically like, ah. the most decorated right now. Like, Does anyone like, else have a Nats and a Pro Tour? I was like, I think Jacob Pearson might have three callings. Um, we we we, we were discussing this because we were trying to work out if I had the most living legend points, uh, if I was closest to being uh, rotated out of the format. Yep. Um, I, and we think Jacob Pearson might have three callings. So he might have 300 living legend points, but he doesn't work. He doesn't play. He works for LSS now. So he doesn't count anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's but 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 like and then I was like, wait, Pablo top eight is the second pro tour after winning the first. I was like, he's making a pretty good case. Um, and then and then and then also I I I don't think that I am the best flesh and blood player in the world. Um, I I think that when I talk to a lot of people about the game, like you can usually like when they give you information about the game usually if i can pass and understand everything they say and then some of the things they say i think don't make sense for very clear reasons you know that gives you some information but like when i talk to michael hamilton he talks about things he says things about the game and i don't necessarily understand them but i also know that he's right and i'm like ah he's probably on on a level a little bit beyond me at least in some areas of the game um, I would say that I think Michael probably is the most skilled player that I've mm-hmm. played against. He 
That's fair. He's he sees a monster. The game really clearly. Um, and like, despite having a reputation as like maybe a, as like a as like a olden or like a, a olden player, he he's actually incredibly flexible and is also very hardworking, uh, while being very very sharp and very very skilled. I remember uh, in preparation for GP Madrid, he sits down with uh, with our olden player, uh, who is is also quite a new player as well. But Michael goes, um, sorry if I mess anything up. This is the first time I've played. Uh, the older mirror in Blitz. And so we're just playing out this long, drawn-out, grindy mirror. And at some point he goes, oh, you just drawn the pulse, right? And I'm like, he said this is the first time he's played the matchup. How does... He's not only tracking his deck, he's also tracking his opponents. Crazy. And then, like, so he, he obviously handily smashes my teammate. And my teammate's a bit bad, bad, feels a bit down on himself because it wasn't even particularly close. And the older mirror is very grindy, so to have a big... Big gap means you, you, you know, you, you, there was a big gap in, that means one player played a lot better than the other, uh, you know, not to discredit my teammate, you know, but he was feeling really down on himself. Like, man, I played this older mirror. I just got smashed. And I was like, what you need to understand is that when Michael Hamilton says, oh, I don't really know this matchup, what he probably means is he's the best olden player in the world. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. When he says he doesn't know the matchup. He literally couldn't be more wrong. You know, there might be no one more equipped to play Olden Mirrors than Michael Hamilton. Um, and so, like, of the players I've been exposed to, and I tested with Michael for the first Pro Tour, um, I think Michael is... I think Michael is better than me. Uh, I don't know about Pablo. I played Pablo at the Pro Tour. Um, I played a pretty close game. I survived on one and just about finished him off. Mm-hmm. But And, and I, I, played, I played Pablo in uh, the Calling Madrid. We played a pretty close game in which... We went to time and uh, we conceded because uh, mm-hmm. it, it didn't make sense for us both to get eliminated. We were in the X3 bracket, so it was one of us go home and, and it, it, we were behind in a game that went to time. And so we just decided, you know, you go ahead, good luck. And they ended up taking the whole tournament down, which was a bit of a mad one. Yep. Uh, so he's clearly an exceptional player. I don't have enough experience to him to know just how good he is, but I, I do know that our Olden player said when he played against Kano, uh, when he played against Pablo on Kano, it just felt like he was dead and his opponent knew how he was going to die a good 20 turns before it happened. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a pretty ominous thing to say, you know? So, Absolutely. I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily think I am the best, best, best flesh and blood player in the world, but I think those two people are probably particularly sick. I think there's also a lot of other good like considerations, like maybe Hayden Dale is 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 a is a really sharp player. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah. I think I think that I at least look at the game differently than a lot of people. That that part I'm willing to give myself, you know. No, that's totally. F- least- that's totally fair. You mentioned uh, Flesh and Blood Online, or uh, Fabo, as it's starting to be called. Uh, really. I'm not sure I like Fabo. Not sure I like <laughs> no, no, it. Does it doesn't roll off the tongue the way you want Not it to. Not quite that, no. Uh, it's totally fair. Uh, but you mentioned it, it It really helped with your testing. Um, tell us a bit more about your prep for the, for the Pro Tour. Like, did you have a rigid structure at this point, or did you take it more organically? Like, what, what worked for you to get ready? Um, yeah, so... For PT1, I had actually a very rigid structure. 
I tested with the Arsenal Pass guys, um, Michael Hamilton, uh, Roger Bodie, and um, Sasha Markovic as my team. And uh, I ended up not having a great experience. Um, probably, yeah, I mean, it's probably not the most PC thing, so I feel free to edit this out. But I, um, I spent about three months working with this, those guys. Uh, we played from about one in the morning until four in the morning my time, and I stayed up every night doing that. And uh, and we, me and me and Michael were were, were set. To, to working on, on a chain deck and putting all of our time into that. Um, and you might remember that uh, Sasha, Brendan, and Hayden all played Kano at the Pro Tour. Um, me and Michael didn't actually find out about that until the morning of the Pro Tour. Oh. Um, oh, man. Oh, all right. All right. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of been something I've sat on for a while, and I don't really mean to cause drama, but, but someone will ask. Like, it, it, it was... It was a situation which, like at the time, I didn't realize how upsetting that was. But then after the tournament, I, I, I when I came back home and really thought about what actually that meant in terms of like what they'd done. Uh, it meant that like basically they'd taken mine and Michael's time uh, and effort, and we built a really good chain list. Like our deck list was only like like three or four cards off the Pro Tour winning list. You know, we'd really and 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 the list that ended up staying stock for the rest of the Pro Tour, like, the PTQ season afterwards. Um, and so, like, it felt really bad to, like, put a ton of time on a horrific time schedule. Like, I really tested it hard for that tournament. And I think we, we did a lot of great work. And so to come away from that tournament, like, feeling like I basically just got used for my time was really, really rough. So when it came to this Pro Tour, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be pretty open with all my testing like, I don't want to take it, like, I don't want to have to have that, like, rigid, like, structure where, like, everyone's really secretive, everyone's, like, hiding things away, like, we're all keeping everything back, like, we're in some secret team. Like, I was just like, you know what, I'll play games with anyone, pretty much. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to focus on doing what I'm doing, like, I'm going to, like, think about my ideas, you know, I'm going to play with my friends, and, you know, I'm going to do what, I'm going to, I'm going to work as much or as little as I want, and I'm, I'm going to do what feels right. And uh, the the Briar deck, I I originally originally I started like looking into Belittle Briar basically as soon as they banned Chain. Like I remember the, the words like I basically they said I was like right well they banned one Rune Blade onto the next. Yeah. Um, and I put my six Belittles into the deck and I started building. Um, and then we saw I can't remember the name of the player, but the Realm Games 10K. Uh, was won by a Belittle Briar deck. And I yep, was like, yeah. Seeb. Oh man, can't can't remember his name. But yeah, that was a that was a that yeah, was a yeah, mess. That was a bit of a breakout, a yeah. bit of a breakout deck. And I remember being like, damn, I literally have already built this deck. Now everyone has it. I was like, ah, oh, these guys are smart too. Um and and then I played in like one road to nationals. Um I ended up going like 3-1 and a draw, which I actually just conceded because, again, you know, I was a little, potentially a little behind, like, and I just decided it's best that, you know, I, 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 I in general, I try to avoid draws. I think they just feel bad. It, I'd rather the game ends in some conclusive manner for someone. So I just conceded that, like, there. So I went 3-1 in, like, one event, 
and then basically put the deck down because I was taking a bit of time away, just trying to chill off the game a bit and uh, didn't have a lot of time and, and a time to play really. And then about three weeks ago, picked up uh, Flesh and Blood Online and like loaded back up my Briar deck and started playing a few games. And I was like, the more I played, the more like the deck sort of changed and got closer and closer. And being able to play on Flesh and Blood Online at basically any time that suited me was was really awesome for for my structure because i'm not i'm not a particularly organized or together person that might already be clear to anyone that's ever watched me play flesh and blood had a conversation with me just seen what i look like you know i'm not you know clean cut and you know and crisp in all situations i am just winging it by the seat of my pants at basically all times and so you know, just being able to sit down and play Flesh and Blood at any time was completely revolutionary for me. Because before, if you wanted to play Flesh and Blood, you have to find an opponent, load up Tabletop Simulator, get your deck list. You know, you have to be on Discord with them, basically, or, or it's really, really difficult to actually play a quick game. Um, and it's just not particularly engaging or like, or like satisfying. I don't know, it doesn't have the same, like, enjoyment it's nowhere close to playing a paper game of flesh and blood but it's also yeah. quite cumbersome and, and difficult whereas flesh and blood online removes a lot of the difficulty and, and makes it actually quicker and more i think more satisfying to play on there because mm -hmm. it, it, it does feel a lot more like playing a game of flesh and blood um and so it changed everything for me i i, I literally i literally remember saying like i hadn't played a single game of flesh and blood in a month and then when I first played a single game on Flesh and Blood Online, I probably played 10 games a day from then until when the Pro Tour started. Uh, like, I have literally those guys uh, to thank for my Pro Tour win. Zero percent chance they win the PT otherwise, I think. I would have played, I would probably have not played much Flesh and Blood at all. Like, registered one of my teammates' Fidex. Like, had very little practice on it. Not done very well. And, you know... Now you would be interviewing someone else, probably Bartosz, uh, Mateus. You know. Uh, be fair, you were you were on my list before you won. I okay. You know okay. what? And I'll even say the moment you top aided, I thought to myself, I bet you Matt Fox wins. I think I had the best deck in the top eight. I think I think uh, you certainly did. I think I I think I had the most interesting deck in the top eight, uh, and I, I I do think it was a. It's not. I don't think my deck is like massively better than every other Briar version. It's just, I think, a little bit more powerful, a little bit more consistent. Um, and I think that, you know, it is a better version of the Briar deck is what I think. So then to, to expand on the flesh and blood online a bit, like, do you feel like you're getting the quality of games you need to get out of flesh and blood online to get the, the, the in-depth practice you need? Um, yeah, yeah. Like... I mean, in any environment where you're playing against, you know, a random opponent from the internet, it's never going to be perfect, right? But, you you know, you can still get that experience where you're like, oh, I would like to play a test game with, you know, a specific person and you can get them in and play, right? But then you also just have the option of providing an opponent to you. And I've run into, like, multiple of my already friends, like, playing Flesh and Blood online. Um, and, like, I didn't... My, my name on Flesh and Blood online isn't my name. So like when I'm on there, I was just it's like it's not a big secret. Like my my name is just something. It's a stupid name. It's, it's Big Dog Diggers. It's just I don't know three stupid words. It's just 
it just sounds fun to say but like i think, I think i've played you yeah we yeah i played on that quite a lot right yeah. um and i remember in the lead up to the pro tour i played quite a lot of people who i already know who i already had been practiced with in practice within the past on tabletop on uh simulator so like you're still getting like a lot of pro tour players like um like i played uh a, a Quite a, quite a number of games with players like Tower Number Nine, with Matt W, um, as you said, maybe yourself, um, uh, Max Thomas, just like a bunch of like strong Pro Tour quality players, mm-hmm. just in random pickup games or just queued into them. And I'm sure there's other good players that, that, whose name I'm not familiar with or weren't playing on an account like that had their name, you know. And like, I, you know, my win rate on Flesh and Blood Online isn't that good, like, and that's like. That's telling, right? That says that the level is high. If I can't win that at that high of a rate on there, it means that the opponents are really good, and that's great. That's great. It means you know you're able to get good practice, and it's not going to be perfect. Sometimes someone loads up uh, armorless azalea, and you know you might have to do a little disconnect because you know I, I just put I'll just make sure that like I'm like setting expectations when I put up a game. You know I say I'm practicing for the pro tour. And, Hopefully the person that joins is either, you know, looking for serious practice or, you know, is also practicing for the Pro Tour. And then you can have the same expectations. You can have a good, fun experience together. Um, but I honestly can't recommend the website enough. It's, it's absolutely insane how much it transformed my enjoyment of Flesh and Blood because it allowed me to play the game in a way that worked for me quickly, easily, and efficiently. You know, and, and, and it doesn't replace... Flesh and Blood Online, like, uh, doesn't replace, like, Flesh and Blood in real life. It's not, you know, it's not the same experience by a long shot, but what it does is it makes the preparation process much easier. And, like, for any newer or, like, people just sort of on-ramping into competitive play, like, just get on there, load up a deck, jump into some games, and play, you know. And also, one thing is don't feel bad about undoing. Like, it's really easy to misclick on the client when you're learning. Like, if you do it, just undo. Go back. Like, take the, don't, like, change your line. Like, as long as you're not doing anything in bad faith, like, just undo. Do it right. Like, we're all on there for practice. We're all on there to learn. You know, I'm, like, no one's on there, at least I hope not, being like, ha, I have a 79% win rate on Flesh and Blood Online. You know, no one's on there rule-shocking their opponents for, uh, for a mistrigger. There's there there's a surprising number there. Yeah, there's... I've not seen it. I've not seen it. Okay, and I feel like I feel like you know, it's yeah, but it's it's just a great environment. So if you are if you are looking to improve, like that's actually just one of the best places you can be doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't out those guys enough. Like genuinely, like I thought about maybe I could like reach out to them for like some kind of sponsorship or nothing, but then I realized actually like they shouldn't be sponsoring me i should be sponsoring them you know and so i i'm gonna subscribe to their patreon uh, as soon as i get off this podcast actually because like i just owe those guys a debt of, of a lot because they really helped me for for the pro tour well and even like we pat and i are in the same boat as you like oh well, and even for myself i i spent a ton of time in the two weeks leading up to pro tour just jamming as many games as i could and uh, it was it was really nice to meet the guys behind Flesh and Blood Online in in Lil. Um, super nice guys. They're super passionate about what they do. Um, actually, Pat and I are chatting with them right now. We uh, I think our next week's episode is going to be us interviewing them. 
Uh, oh, that's awesome! That's awesome. Yeah, no, they're, they're shameless plug. Yeah, they they are they're doing uh they're doing phenomenal work. Um, it, it really reminds me of like the when I first I, I'm actually fairly new to TCGs and in the grand scheme of things, and I I came into Magic after Arena already existed. Uh, and I loved that, like the ease of access of just being able to pick up a game anytime you wanted and flesh and blood online is giving us that for flesh and blood. And it, it's really cool to see that you found the success that you found out of it. And I, to, to your point, I can't stress enough, like how good of a platform it is. Like Pat and I are definitely going to be pumping it, uh, a lot on the show here moving forward because it's, it's just such a phenomenal platform. You know, while I'm here and while I have you guys, mm-hmm. I'm going to use the platform to uh, to get my question in early for next week. Go um, right ahead. What do you got? We'll save it. We'll yeah, put you right to the top of the list. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting point, actually. And one my one worry about Flesh and Blood Online, my one reservation about it, and um, and that is actually the, the, the very, very high amount of data it can generate. Uh, and while I think a lot of people think that data is actually a good thing, I actually worry about what like substantial, substantial win rate data can do to metagames. Uh-huh. Uh, because we aren't actually exposed to that level of data right. almost ever in Flesh and Blood. And that's actually one of the good things about the game, I think, is that you don't have statistical evidence of what is winning and what is not. And if Flesh and Blood Online generates such a large number of games that it can provide a pretty accurate sample about that, I worry that potentially that could lead to like diverging metagames because if everyone can see that Briar wins 58% of its games and Viserai wins 48, everyone will just show up on Briar, you know? And that that also can have the knock-on effect of, of people, instead of just... Being like, oh, Briar seems good. Viscerai doesn't seem that good. What can I do to change this? What can I do? Like, they're just going to say, oh, well, there's the high number. I'll pick the high number. And, and it, it sort of stymies creativity and the opportunities for innovation because, and, and, and it removes some of the skill and, and interesting part of the game, which is deck selection, you know, and, and not all of it, you know, the numbers aren't everything, you know, numbers of how, how much a deck wins on Flesh and Blood Online isn't everything or even a lot of much to how good a deck is but but i worry that it can have like converging effects on a metagame that actually take away from the game in some way and so i guess i would ask what their plans are when it comes to the managing uh of win rate data and you know if they think that that could have an impact on the game further down the line that's phenomenal question um i, I... It's actually it's a lot. Sorry, that was a lot. That was a lot of a lot of words. Just get that again. Real the, the beauty of recording all this is we got it. No, you're you're on the top of the list. Question will be asked. Yeah. Do they think that the um, do they worry that the large large number of win rate data that their program produces could have a negative impact on the game further down the line? That would be the short form of the question. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, but like that that's not to take away from the utility of the program which i think far outweighs any potential negative consequences um yep. just that is my only concern in and it's a thing that wizards of the coast tried to manage by yep. slowly 
reducing the number of the num like the, the amount of data points that, that were given to the community because they did see those kind of effects happening. Well, and I'm sure that's even part of James White's reasoning for not wanting an online client and not exactly. wanting to do an official one is there the, the meta doesn't get solved as quickly. And, and that's right, good. Right. That's really good. Right, it's, so, a, yeah. it's a positive thing. Definitely. So you, you make a really valid point and it's it, it, it really probably needs to come down to a balance of we need accessibility and people need to be able to play the game however, whenever they so choose, but then also not giving the ability for just the meta to become solved outright right off the get go. Exactly. Like, you know, as competitive players, we want all the data we can get, right? Like the you know, the competitive spike inside of us says, oh, let me find out what's the best. Let me see all of the available information. But like sometimes, you know, what you want is not what you need. And I, I think this is a pretty good example of that. For sure. Um, I like that's the only thing that worries me is that like, like, like as you said, like, that's probably not part of James White's, like or probably part of James White's vision is the or vision for Flesh and Blood is that by playing in the Flesh and Blood, it slows down like, that rapid solving of the game that like leads into kind of a stale metagame. Uh, and, and by, you know, and that would be, you know, a potential trouble for Flesh and Blood online down the line where they, you know, this mm -hmm. problem is affecting them. And then, you know, I wouldn't want to see that Flesh and Blood go, go like, Flesh and Blood online have troubles because of this data, you know, or whatever. Like, that, that's something right, that, because right. yep. that could pose a threat in some way to LSS, you know. And so, certainly, that's just a thing that I, I kept thinking about when I thought about Flesh and Blood Online because I was like, I because uh, Kagane Gaming, if I'm allowed to mm -hmm. shout him out, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> friend of the pod, uh, we love Kagane. Okay, awesome, awesome. He did a couple of videos utilizing and uh, and showing showing the data from Flesh and Blood Online, and right. you know that like that CC video, the CC video, first CC he did. He did it was a couple of weeks ago now and that mm -hmm. was before people were saying that briar was the best deck like a good week and a half before mm -hmm. and briar was already winning a ton of games then it was basically the highest win rate deck at that point and it was winning a ton of games then um and you know we saw that data come to fruition granted it's not all perfect it also said bravo was winning a lot of games and we didn't see a lot of bravo conversion over the last couple of weeks but that doesn't mean that it's not a good deck you know like but like mm. that data does mean something you know and the more players we see on flesh and blood online and we actually saw their servers go down today uh, <laughs> yeah Pat and I were just talking trying about to actually that. You're trying to get a game in just before you came in and it just it just wasn't happening we went on the yeah, server yeah, exactly. ah, that's, that's, the level of, that's the level of blow up they've seen over the last like even just the last month i think their their website's completely blown up in terms of like yep. user base and that's awesome that's really awesome because what it also means is that there's loads and loads of people that want to play flesh and blood Yes. Yep. And that's that's really cool. It's only can only can only can be good at that point, right? Yeah. Well, and I think so, as we see more accessibility to just easy online pickup games, uh, we're going to see the community grow exponentially now because people can access the game in a way that they couldn't before. Yeah, but we're also going to see people get a lot better, a lot quicker. That's, that's true. Scary. It is. And it is. People it is very scary. are already getting really good, really quick. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's, like the jump between like when I played UK Nationals now last year, like I, you know, 
like it's pretty hard to say this without sounding arrogant, but I think that like at US UK Nationals last year, I was the best player in the field by a large margin. Um, uh-huh. Like I think that's that's a safe thing. To, I think I can comfortably say that. Yeah. Um, but like when I sit down to play this year, I still believe I am the best player in the field. But I think there's some really really strong players who certainly certainly could beat me on any any given day. Um, you know, just to name a few, we have like Pete Ward, Jamie Faulkner, uh, Matt Light, all of who have top callings. Um, Hamish, uh, Chisholm Brown, who top eight nationals last year, Aaron Boyan. There's just so many strong players in the UK now. Uh, the, we have Shamir, who just top four the Pro Tour. He's a player who isn't really from my part of the country, but has just been putting in infinite volume over the last like six to nine months, he's yep. just like always up there in XP. He just plays like three armories a week, which is yes, really helpful. Yes, he does. But that man plays so much yep. that like that he's kind of like quietly risen. He didn't play the first Pro Tour. He wasn't qualified for the first Pro Tour, but like he managed just to to slip in and get a, a win on the first week of the Pro Quest season, get qualified for this one, and then it's just been putting in hours and hours and hours of time. And like he's another player who's just like, you know. Was he's mostly judging in the first ProQuest season. He judged a number of ProQuests I played in the first season. And then, you know, the next ProQuest season, he's in the semifinals like, sat across from me. Yep. So, like, that's just another example of, like, how much the UK community, and I'm sure the global community, has just massively improved over the last year. And so, like, that will, that will only accelerate with Flesh and Blood Online. And I'm... We're in... Uh... Sorry, oh, I was just gonna say, was just gonna say uh, Shamir. Shamir in particular has been on the. You talked about him grinding in the armories. Uh, he's been on the the Fighters Guild uh, Monday nights. I mean, Max Thomas hosts that. Uh, he yeah, took yeah, it, yeah. I played the armory a lot of times to call yeah. it He's he's taken it down recently in the last like month or so. He's taken it down like two times uh, already, which is it's tough to do it once. And he's it's just not been an on. Easy tournament to win. I don't no. think actually, I'm not. I'm not sure I've actually won it, and I've played it quite a number of times. I think it's my one claim to fame. I think Adam, I, I've taken down a fighters yeah, guild once. Yeah, and that's that's, that's, that's the same thing. I haven't had a chance to play one since I qualified for the pro tour because I was I had this like three week week stint where I lost the finals of basically the last few. I lost the finals of a pro quest to my best friend. Yep. And then I was like, oh god, I don't think that there's any more that I can really play without driving like five hours. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm pretty close on XP. I probably have to play like 40 armories, not 40, but like I probably have to play like 20 armories in the next like three weeks to qualify for the pro tour. And so then proceeded to play like, like three armories a day for like three yeah. weeks. And it was like, God, by the time I was like, I, I think I'm pretty good at taking losses. Well, mm-hmm. um, I've, I've lost a lot of high stakes games of flesh of, of card tournaments in my life, you know, like, like I lost uh, the finals of the battle hardened to Francesco Giorgio, who is another player who I didn't shout out, who's actually also probably one of the top like three or four players. I think he honestly, I think he made X four this weekend at the pro tour falling just one win short of the top eight. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, shout out to him, another great player. And, uh, but I lost, you know, I lost the finals of a battle hardened, which is, you know, it's still a PTI. It's still a great result, but like you, you lose the gold foil, you, you know, you lose the last match of the tournament, you know, you want to win that one so badly. And like, like my process, I always have the same process, which is like, if I lose a big match, because you know, 
if you care, it hurts to lose. Yes, of course. And you know, if you you know, if you're really caring or really invested, it hurts. And so I tried to go through the same process to make sure that I can like understand and like rationally process a game and then like move on from how like like frustrated or upset or disappointed you feel. Um and that will be like the first thing is when I lose, like I'll you know, I'll shake your, your opponent's hand, you know, say, you know, good game, well done. And then I'll just try and sit down, like look through my graveyard, think about the the turns and the decisions and like well, what about this? And like, try and commit the game to memory, you know, try and think, right, what were the interesting turns? And like, what did I do wrong? Like, is there any points where this went wrong? Like try and rationally understand the game. And then when I've sort of rationally processed the game, then I think about it like, oh, this sucks, you know, but, but once you've really thought about the, the actual, like the logical parts of the game, it feels much more easy just to deal with the emotions. And then you can just sort of set that aside and say, okay, we move on. Um, but the follow-on from that is that despite dealing with loss as well, there is nothing worse than losing a game in an armory when, you're, when, when your opponent is just playing a fun fright in an armory and you're desperately trying to grind EXP for the Pro Tour. And it's like, yep. you know, we're, you're having a fun game here and I'm like, I'm playing like a pseudo ProQuest final, you know? It's like we couldn't <laughs> be playing more different games, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, congratulations, enjoy the win, but oh my God, I'm so frustrated. I need these XP points so badly. I feel that so hard right now trying to get into worlds. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. It's like it's like I've drawn I've drawn a few games in online armories before and you're like, oh my god, this is the worst result I've ever taken. Um uh you know, and it's like I've taken losses for like a few thousand dollars and been fine. Like still been pretty chill, been pretty happy, no worries, but like couple of those armory losses and you're like, oh my god, please just I need the wins. I need the wins. That's too funny. Uh, yeah, it's it, like honestly, I remember like grinding these people the pro tour and just say it was testing on my mental. It was really testing on my mental. All right, so this this next question actually kind of phases in well. We, uh, we were talking about uh, data and analytics and such. Um, you used to belittle in your Briar deck, and that seemed to stem from uh, a number or a very numbers-based analytic approach to the game. Uh, We've seen this approach a few times with card choices in Blitz featuring Kasai and at times Viserai. Can you speak a bit more on this approach and how you would make decisions on a certain cards and tell tell me why (laughs) I shouldn't play Sift? Sure, okay. I mean, those are two separate, but also both very important questions. Um... So the first one is I don't know if I necessarily take like an analytical and numbers uh, like base approach to the game. I one thing I do when deck building is I think I I probably goldfish a lot more than I play against other people. Um, like I think it's actually kind of a weird part of flesh and blood is you can actually do a lot of the work just yourself. Like you don't necessarily need an opponent, and sometimes an opponent all an opponent will actually do is just obfuscate the truth of the situation. Like in the like you'll distract yourself with your opponent than actually focusing on, on what your deck's doing, which is, you know, in most decks, uh, at least most proactive or aggressive decks, like by far the most important part is understanding how do you make your linear plan better? Um, and so it's not necessarily always numerical or analytical as, as opposed to just, you know, just through sheer repetition, 
I'll be like, oh, actually, this doesn't work. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't play right. You know, so, you know, for the example of Belittle Briar, I've played a lot of the original Belittle Briar list, like similar to the one that won the Rams 10K, that was playing Explosive Growth and uh, Explosive Growth and uh, Vexing Malice Red. Yes. Yeah. And like, upon playing them again and again and again, I was like, why don't these cards feel good? It's like a one for five, you know? That should be pretty great, when you, especially when you're playing it with Belittle, right? That should be really good. But like, why do they feel so bad? Like, they, why do they always feel so disappointing? And like, like I was like, because like the most well part the most broken parts of this deck are Belittle and Creepers. And what the one for what the one for fives do, or well, explosive growth is kind of a one for five if, if it's fused basically. But what those the one pack one cost attacks do is is they don't work in a belittle get minimism creepers minimism attack weapon like combo. It just doesn't fit into that play pattern. And that's the play pattern your deck just thrives off of. And I was like, okay, how can we play into that play pattern? And then the extension from that is like, first we found Promise of Plenty. And we were like, oh, this card actually feels like surprisingly good. Because it works fluidly with that like linear strategy of, of being able to use a blue, a belittle, and a three power attack to deal 13 or 14 damage. And present an on here on uh, often, and then we had promise of plenty, and then we were like, "Hold on, we were about to put yellow snatch in our Protor deck," um, and, and and then we put it in, and we were like, "Wait, this card's just great," because like yellow snatch looks a hell of a lot worse than red snatch, and it is, it really is, but for the specific purposes of our deck, it's perfect. It fills exactly what we needed to. And it lines up perfectly with our play pattern. And like it was like it wasn't until we removed the one uh, cost attacks that the deck actually started to work fluidly and cleanly. And 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 we sort of got there just through repetition and just playing a lot of games and and you know trying to understand what feels right and what feels correct. And and I think it's 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 often difficult to actually like take actually a really analytical approach to to the game you have to just trust how you feel a lot of the time and and then like try and hone what like that feeling or intuition is just via years of play and i don't know just just believing in yourself and just like actually like trusting your instincts and then when they're wrong try and work out why and then hopefully at the end of it you have a set of instincts which you know feel kind of correct a lot of the time so I don't know if it's necessarily analytical as more just like sheer brute force and, and, and you know, and, and, and intuition more so. And then uh, the more, probably the more important question is why you shouldn't play Sift. Um, I've been pretty vocal about not playing Sift. Uh, I didn't play any Sift in the Pro Tour. A lot of people did. I don't think it's an egregious card. I just think... Like people think that that card is great, and I don't understand why, because it's just not very good. Like when you play it, it's sort of like discarding a card. Like the way I look at it is, Sift is sort of like a Tome of the Arc Knight if you always missed. 
Okay. No, that's okay. a good way to look right, at it. All right. All right. <laughs> you're just down a card every time. Yeah. You know, yep. sure. On the turn of the Dark Knight, you're also down one mana, but like you're pretty much all of the way there without ever. I mean, you, you can have a small upgrade in hand, but you're always down a card. It can never be that good. Yeah. And so, like, the major use of Sift is a blue. Yeah. It's also sometimes a block four. At least I thought that there would be a slightly higher ninja representation at, um, at the Pro Tour than there was. There was a bit of a representation, but not like the massive representation we saw in Utrecht. Which is why I included three this rounds on me, because uh, into ninja, it's basically great at any stage of the game. And then into Viserai and Briar, it's also quite good on the first turn of the game if you're going first. You just draw a card. And then you start to present some damage to generate an embodiment and threaten damage. Uh, and your opponent either has the choice to take the damage or, you know, give you back the fifth card that you gave them, which means that now their attacks are minus one for the start of the rest of the turn. And you didn't give them anything for it because they used their card to block. Mm-hmm. So, and then the alternative is they just take the damage, which is what happened in my first match of CC in the Pro Tour. My opponent, I played it this round on me, and my opponent particularly liked their hand. So I went Bramble Spark Fused, Overload for seven, no blocks, Weapon Attack for four, no blocks. So my opponent started with a five card hand, but I had dealt them 11 damage on the first turn. Yep. And, you know, I think they, they said at the end of the game, they were like, I really should have blocked on that first turn, shouldn't I? And I was like, yeah, I think so. I think that was probably where it went wrong. Someone got greedy. But, yeah, you know, like, regardless, I would I, you remove one, two, or three life from your opponent's attacks usually. Sometimes against Ninja, it's often, you know, five, six, or seven power, which is an absolutely insane first turn to basically gain five, six, or seven life and remove the validity of any of your opponent's on-hit triggers, which is what that does to fives because their attacks become so easily blockable. Like, you just completely ruin five if you draw that card in the first turn of the game. You basically, it's like you get to go first and second when you do it to them. Um, and I, that's a bigger upside to me than playing a Sift. Like just having a card that either if you draw it the first turn is, is great against basically anyone, or if you draw it basically any time against a ninja is great. Like is a big enough upside that I think it's better than just putting sort of a blue Sift in your deck. And then if you desperately need to have playable blues, you should already be playing Turn of the Arknight because that card's just very good. You know, Tome of the Ark Knight, I think, is like a I think of it like a blue that plays like a yellow. Because on average, if your deck is 50 50. You are coin flipping between drawing two or drawing zero. So on average, you, you draw one. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much how the math works out on that one. Yep. Uh, paying one mana to draw one, it basically like a yellow, because if it was if it was if it was. If it costs zero mana, it would be it would be Gorgonian tone, basically, right? It would be similar yep. to Gorgonian tone. Sure. And that's that's a, that's a, well, that's actually a zero pitch card, but like it, it it plays a lot more like a yellow. That's like a pretty powerful effect for a blue. And so I just think that that card's worthy of an inclusion if like if you have a deck that's anywhere near close to fifty fifty in ratios, and just like so much better than Sift and. I, I feel like I got massively rewarded again and again throughout the Pro Tour. I, I 
took one turn and it was honestly one of the craziest things I've ever seen playing a game of Flesh and Blood where in my winning into the top eight, I took a turn in which I went Tome of the Arknight, split the top two, put them both into my hand. Tome of the Arknight, hit the top two, put them both into my hand. Pay three, Tome of Harvest, draw three cards. Now we've seen seven new cards. Guess what? Here's another Tome of the Arknight. Flip the top two, both into my hand. Now we've seen nine new cards. Sonata X equals four. Add three cards to my hand. It's 12. Then I played a Belittle. 13, Belittle. 14, Belittle. 15 new cards into my hand in one turn. I was around in the area when this play happened, and everyone was talking about how many cards you saw in your hand. Like, the whole room was talking about it. When I hit the third tome of the Arknight, I heard audible groans from around me. Just, oh my god. It was like a crime had been committed in the hall, you know? Someone had been murdered and it was my opponent. Uh, (laughs) You talk about about signs from the the TCG gods on the day. Absolutely. definitely one of them. It takes a lot of luck to win a tournament. And although I probably didn't need the third tome of the Arknight, it really sent the message home, you know, like... That's a card that does something as a blue. Sift, mm-hmm. not so much. Imagine I played three sifts in a turn. Not quite the same result. You end that's up with true. an empty hand and a lot of damage. So I think I think there's just better options for blue. And you know, while I'm quite zealous in my discussion, it's not the worst blue. It's still a blue block three, and that's a powerful effect. But I think like if that's what you're desperate for, this rounds on me probably better. Especially into like metas with a good amount of ninjas. Maybe we'll see five fold away now. Um Maybe we won't. We'll see. It's the new meta. We'll we'll have to wait and see. But you know, well, I'm not massive on Stift as a card. Fair, fair enough. I will have to retire the Sifts. I mean, when you put it like that, yeah, Sift is no good. <laughs> yeah, when you use logic and reasoning. Um. Okay. All right. So. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about, uh, we got some community questions. We're going to talk a little bit about constructed here. Um, so you, you obviously had Briar, uh, coming into pro tour, uh, prism. I don't know if everyone knows this, uh, but prism just hit living legend, uh, which means it is, it is a new day in the world of flesh and blood. It is the meta is the wild west. Uh, we have a question from uh, Tommy Fresh, host of the Fresh and Buds pod. Shout out to Tommy. He that asks, uh, he asks, does uh, does Prism Living Legends uh, change your outlook on Briar for a national season? I mean, it definitely impacts. It definitely impacts things for sure. Uh, like Prism is probably one of Briar's best matchups. You know, when I saw that I was playing Ian in the top eight, although I know Ian is a very strong player. He came, he, he, unfortunately, he lost a winning in for the last top eight of the, of the previous Pro Tour. So I was really happy to see him get there. Um, and it almost went awry, actually, because as we sat down for, for draft on day two of the Pro Tour, they were announcing all the players that hadn't made it to their draft seat in time to try and confirm their attendance. And I heard them say Ian Zhang. And I was like, wait, where's Ian? Ian six and one. I was like trying to message people to be like, where the, where the hell is Ian? And it turned out he just accidentally sat down in the wrong draft seat. <laughs> um, Yep, so, yep. like, thankfully, because I, I remember I saw him, I was like, did everything get sorted with your draft? He's like, yeah, I threw the pod. I was like, oh, nice. Nice. Um, but, like, he uh, he was, you know, like, he's a really good player, but I was happy to mm-hmm. see him on Prism, yep. you know? 
because I think that matchup really favors me. And we saw, you know, there's a massive life differential in the game. And he ended up trying to resort to fatigue basically as his only as his only out because he wasn't able to get control of the board with auras and he wasn't able to race me in any way, shape or form. And so I think my Briar version specifically is really strong into Prism or was really strong into Prism uh, because you, you get to use the Creepers to really take advantage of generating extra action points to deal with multiple auras in a turn or to potentially play around ALS. And, uh, and so that, that sort of gave... That, you know, having one really great matchup that was probably overrepresented because there's just so many, you know... There's so many prison waifu lovers out there. That, uh... <laughs> There's a lot of sad people this week. <laughs> yeah, I'm sad. Honestly, I'm sad. I uh, I qualified for the first Pro Tour playing Prism. And I, I really just think she's a really interesting and fun deck. And I was actually kind of sad that they made the bans and changes they did before the first Pro Tour. Because, like, if it was just Starvo at the Pro Tour, I would have been really happy to play Prism. And I just loved playing it. So it was, you know, I was like, oh, man, I have to find a new deck. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, we, we we move on and we find a new queen. And that queen for this one was Briar. Is she worse? I mean, she's lost one good matchup. Does that make her bad? Absolutely not. I don't think that Briar has particularly many bad matchups. I think it has some questionable ones, potentially, in probably Bravo and Dorinthia. Mm-hmm. Do both of those decks get a lot better in a world where Prism doesn't exist? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely they do. Um, but we've never had to, we've never had to, you know, had to have the resources, we've never had the resources or had to have the resources to deal with those decks really. So as much as they get to come out of the woodwork and battle us, we also get to spend the time and effort and sideboard slots to try and beat them. So... Mm. I think that'll be an interesting, uh, interesting like battle this season, and I think that people probably shouldn't underestimate Dorinthia going into this season. I think she's like kind of a bit sleeper. She still has some like questionable matchups in probably Oldham is like the big one. Mm-hmm. But if you can kind of crack the Oldham matchup, I like, I actually do think Dorinthia is quite scary, which is kind of a weird thing to be saying. But like glistening steel blade from the classic battles was actually a massive upgrade for the deck. Yeah. It's like I remember everyone was kind of disappointed, myself too, because we didn't get to see like loads of new Reinar cards. Because I was like, finally, it's Brute's time in the sun. They're going to get like some new toy, and it's going to be, you know, the, the Brutes will rejoice. But but no, no such luck. But Dorinthia actually got something really good and a big upgrade. And I think both in CC potentially right now, but definitely in Blitz as well. She's actually really underrated. So like, yep. that's actually kind of a tough matchup. Like a skilled Dorinthia player... Or if you're an unskilled Briar player like myself, like I, I played a bunch of games into Tower Number Nine on on Dorinthia, and he was just farming me. He was just absolutely farming me. Yeah, that's um, he's he's a he's like a one trick. He, uh, Tower is like the Dorinthia main. He's been yeah, playing yeah, it forever. I don't think he, I don't think he's updated one. his deck in a year, but it's he still knows how to run it. Yeah, he, I think he was like five one or something, and I was like, man, mm-hmm. like, I'm glad that guy's not playing the Pro Tour. Um, and like, so like, there is bad matchups out there, and like, some of those bad matchups might start to rise up. Maybe like Bravo playing Crush the Week, mm. or you know, like, because mm-hmm. like, one thing I was thinking before the Pro Tour was like, if I play Bravo, I'm not that scared of it, you know. 
Like mm-hmm. it's okay, and our, our term, we we are a more efficient and more powerful deck than them. Like they disrupt quite well, but like it's not that bad. And even if they have crushed a week for like Briar, they're probably not going to play it into into me because most Briars don't play that many three power attacks, right? Right. I do. My deck's basically all three power attacks. I really hope they don't play a fucking crush the week into me. Excuse my language. <laughs> You're um, all good. We've already sworn once in this pod. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Good. Sorry. I was, I've been trying to keep it PG, but I've failed. But so, like, I don't, like, I don't want to, I've not seen, I've not played against Crush the Week Bravo. And, I mean, that is a risk for the Bravos to take because, mm-hmm. you know, if you put Crush the Week in your deck and they're playing the normal Briar deck, suddenly you have a three for seven in your deck and, and it's not it's not some powerhouse card that you want it to be. It's, it's just a three for seven. And that's okay. Yeah. But, yep. you know, not life-changing. So it's it's an adjustment on their part because maybe not everyone ends up on Belittle Briar. Maybe people play some of the more conservative, more like more normal versions. I've had a I've had a lot of feedback from other people being like, I tried to play your 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 deck and it just seemed terrible to me, you know. And I'm like, maybe you just don't believe in the tomes enough, you know. Maybe you're not willing to flip. Maybe because like, because in the Briar deck, there's a lot of turns where you start your turn with no idea what your hand is. Yep. You're going to draw three cards, you're going to cast a Sonata, you're going to flip a Tome, but you're going to play a Belittle. Like, you haven't seen any of the cards that you're going to play with this turn, you know? And, and, and you just have to be like, right, well, good luck to me, and like, go into your turn and sequence your way through and find what comes out on the other side. So it's not always, you know, I think there are bad matchups that are coming out, and, and, and obviously Briar will have a bigger, bigger target on its back now, especially. But I still think the Briar deck is really exceptional. And I don't think that we've reached like the end game for exploration in Briar either. I still think there's a bunch of interesting directions that you can innovate the deck. And there's still a lot of work that can be done. So I'm actually really excited to do that work. And, you know, I'm not locked on playing Briar for my nationals. But I wouldn't be unhappy if I was. Yep. I would love another chance to try and get that girl some living legend points, you know. She's doing well her. for you so far. She has. She has. All right. Uh, this next uh, this next community question comes actually from uh, somebody from my local, uh, Hugh. Uh, the first part's a, it's a two part question. The first part's a little cheeky question. He's he's a big deck builder and uh, he likes to build janky decks. And so the first part of his question goes: Have you ever been killed by a blue overload? But then the second part of his question: Oh, yeah. oh you have. Yep. No, no, no! I, okay, I never have. Okay, I never okay. Have. And I, and I pray to God. Son of a bitch! <laughs> and I pray to God I never will. You know, I really hope I don't go out that way. That sounds rough. Yeah, uh, it's funny because I myself have actually been killed at the hand of one of his blue overloads. He, one of his, he, he was playing with this cheeky oh, little uh, prism list where he'd go red transmogrify into blue overload, <laughs> and. Yeah, God. Oh, no. Like, he doesn't have to be a blue either. He just does it just for the sick rubbish. Oh, it, it's pure. Just to really punish it. It's purely because he can. He just wants to watch the world burn. I mean, that does sound like something that would burn. Yeah, yeah. He'll dominate forever. But the, the, the second part of this question, and the, the more the serious part of the question is, what hero gains uh, the most from Prism hitting LL? That's close. It's really close, because a, a lot of heroes gain a For lot. sure. Like, Prism... Prism is oppressive in the matchups where it's good. And that's actually what made like Prism kind of a viable bring is because you just have so many matchups where like, oh my God, these decks are unplayable in the matchup. Like 
Icelander, like the stats, but you know, and, and, and I go back to the stats again, they're not always like 100% accurate and fully representative of a matchup. They don't say everything, but the Icelander Prism uh, matchup stats are about 90% in favor of Prism. You know, the stats aren't everything, but 90% is 90%, you know? So like maybe it's maybe it's Icelander. Maybe maybe like having almost a literal buy, uh, or, or, or almost a, a literal auto loss turn like d- deleted from the field is is maybe enough. And, and we see uh, we saw um, Scott Mines, another British player. He came thirteenth, I believe, in the calling in Lille playing Icelander. So I, I I think I think there's certainly some interesting stuff that can be done with that deck. So I would probably say Icelander. That's my that's my bet because I think okay. he had the specifically worst. Obviously the Guardians, Dorinthia, they're gaining, but I'm gonna say Icelander is the one that gains the most. Excellent. That's who I'm most excited to play moving forward. <laughs> All right. Um we are going to I'm gonna to jump to the last community question real quick. Unless you wanna I don't wanna drag it out too long, but lightning round, uprising draft, good or trash? Trash. Fair enough. Uh, the last community question I think is a good way to wrap up uh, the interview. Clark Jansen, uh, Bravo aficionado, friend of the pod, uh, asks, uh, "Tell us, tell us what you want us to know about you for the people who don't know you or haven't seen you play before." I love Flesh and Blood. Like, I really, like, really love playing card games, and like. Like, it means so much to me to have been able to win the Pro Tour. Like, it's genuinely an honor. And, like, like I hope that, like, people could see, like, just from watching me, how much it, it meant to me to be able to have that opportunity, right? Because it is, like, an incredible opportunity, and it took so much luck, but also hard work and, like, actual years of dedication. Because I've played card games competitively for about the best part of a decade at this point, you know? Like, I've really put basically all of my time, energy, and life force in one way or another into playing games seriously for basically a decade and so like for it all to combine into a moment and a day where like it was my day like is is insane it's awesome like that's such a beautiful thing and like like, i hope that like people can like see that enjoy that and say like i would like to pursue competition for that reason because it's like competing and trying to get the best out of yourself and like really pushing yourself to the limit to try and be as good as possible is like such a rewarding thing, you know? And I, I think people don't necessarily always like actually push themselves as hard as they can in competition. But like, for me, that's where I've always got the most from things. And so like, I would encourage people to do the same, like, like try and qualify for the pro tour. Like the flesh and blood pro tour is magical, you know, like it's actually, it's so good. So that, there you go. That would be my that it's it's not just about me, um, but you know it's, it's sort of I guess about flesh and blood as well. But like mm-hmm. like like I looked in like I I was so happy and so excited. You mentioned earlier um, Alex from Fable Academy's uh, deck tech I did with him after the Pro Tour. Yep. I had a couple of comments either on that video or people that messaged me directly being like. Um, Hey man, what what were you on when you won the Pro Tour? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you you weren't sober, right? Like you'd taken something, right? 
I was like, I don't understand what you mean. They're like, I watched your interview and your eyes were just so wide. I was like, what? No, you I was just like, got no. that serotonin. Just yeah, no, I was like, I was like, that's just an insane amount of dopamine just flying through my brain because yep. I'm just like gleeful beyond belief because like all my wildest dreams just came true, you know? So like, I'm just really like thankful. I said this to James White. I was like, I'm so thankful that you guys have made like something that I genuinely love, genuinely, genuinely love. And like, I hope people can appreciate me as someone who just really, really loves the same game that they do. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Matt, uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, this is this is the spot where you are free to plug whatever you got going on. Give me give me the ats, give me the links, tell the world where they can find you. Um my at on Twitter is just Minty Folks. Uh, you can just go and throw all hate or vitriol you want there. That's what it's for. Uh, no, please don't. Please don't. Uh, but that, that is that is where I am at. I offer coaching. Uh, that I don't think there's many people out there, at, at least that offer the service that are on the same level as I am. I think I think I could really help a lot of people. You know, if you're even if you're a newer player, I, I've helped a, a fair few newer players. I've had a couple of people who a couple of people who I taught the game qualify for the pro tour less than a week after I taught them. So, and I, I can't guarantee those results, but those, that is true. Two people who I taught the game qualified for the PT less than a week after. So, the results are there, folks. You know, that's just that's just a, a snippet of what could be yours. But no, like I, I think I can either whether it's preparation for a single tournament or you know lessons on a specific deck or you know just general lessons about how to improve and 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 how to think about flesh and blood. I think I'm a decent decent teacher and i think that i am probably the best out there in terms of helping people actually improving and i i'm a pretty open book when it comes to giving out basically all the information that i have in helping people like anyone that was uh working with my coaching had access to my deck list for this pro tour you know like that's like i was pretty like open with everyone and I had people being like, man, this deck's so fun. And then, like, it was so sick to have all these people who had also been following and I'd been working with, like, rooting for me. And, and, and so that was really cool. That's about it. I don't really do too much else. I just play a lot of Flesh and Blood. If you see big dog diggers on Flesh and Blood online, uh, you know, all right. so, it's, it's unfortunate for you that you had to play versus me. Sorry for your loss. Um, <laughs> I definitely lost that one if I played you. Uh, thank you for watching. There you go. That would be, that would be everything I got. Excellent. Um, so uh, it, his links will be in the show notes below when we post the video. So Matt, just yep. And uh, so uh, we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, don't forget to uh, like, subscribe, and uh, click the bell notification to find the Combat Chain uh, on the Combat Chain YouTube channel. You can find us at the Combat Chain Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the Combat Chain. You can find myself at Pat Smash Good. And you can find Adam at Tulery TCG. Now, Matthew, we have one more piece of business to close Ooh. this thing out. Uh, we do. We like to. We like to close it out a very particular way. Uh, okay. I'm gonna say until next week, and in unison, we're going to say we are closing the combat chain, and it's gonna come out 
harmonious and beautiful, and it's going to be the best thing ever. Is that something? Right, so just one more time, so I'm ready. All You're right, gonna so say... I'm going to say until next week, and then we're all going to say we are closing the combat chain. chain. There it is. Okay, ready? Here we go. All right, guys. Thank you very much, Matthew, folks. Thank you for coming on to the pod. And I think this is going to do it for us. So, until next week, we're closing the combat chain. Oh, nailed it. That's, That's a wrap. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for coming on. This was this was great.